things look. Speaking of how things look, uh, it looks like, you know, Lord willing, I will be on an airplane in, uh, on Tuesday flying to India, and then our family's going to be there until Christmas Day. We come back on the 25th. So we miss most of the December sermon series. Well, what's the sermon series? Uh, you're not going to be here. It's true. But here's the plan I came up with, and I'm really excited for it uh, because I've already seen it. It's called Christmas Movies, and this is the vision, if you can dig it. We took popular Christmas movies, movies that you would recognize, and we edited them down. We made abbreviated versions of them, and we're going to put them on the screens to watch together. And then your digital preacher's face is going to pop up on the screen, and we're going to make some gospel connections. Even movies that are not explicitly Christian, sometimes they're not even explicitly Christmas in the true sense of Christmas. We're going to find gospel themes. And we're going to point them out. And we're going to get good at that because Jesus did that. He took stories that he made up, characters that aren't real people. But he told stories to teach his disciples about the kingdom of God. Or he would use an everyday image that people would recognize and say, you know what, that's kind of like God's love. Or that's kind of like the kingdom of God and how it works. That's how he taught. So that's the goal. We're going to do that in the month of December using popular Christmas classics. And some, I've floated this by some people, and I've gotten a little bit of soft feedback from people saying, Jacob, we don't want to show up to church and watch TV. And maybe that's what you're thinking. And you may also be thinking, I don't want to show up to church and watch a movie that I might not even watch on my own if it comes on in TV rotation. Maybe that's what you're thinking as well. My response to that, this series, maybe it's it's not not for for you. you. Maybe Maybe it's not not aimed at you. Maybe it's for someone who doesn't go to church. Maybe it's for someone who doesn't know the story of the nativity or doesn't know the gospel about who Jesus is and why we follow him, why we worship him. Maybe this is a really good opportunity to open the door and let people say, wow, decorations look nice. Like These people care about presentation. And then they can watch an abbreviated version of Home Alone And then they hear a preacher who's not even in the room talk about how the story of Home Alone is a lot like the story of the prodigal son. If you've ever thought about that, it's right there. Making these connections. Maybe it's an opportunity for a conversation that wouldn't have existed otherwise. That's my challenge to you, Tri-Valley, while I'm gone. Put some people in these chairs. People who've never been here before. People who are excited about Christmas. It's, an, it's, it's just an opportunity to have people focus on Jesus. The world is already doing that every Christmas. And Christmas starts earlier and earlier and earlier every year. And people joke about it like it's not even Halloween yet. And they've already got the Christmas stuff up in their yards or out at Lowe's. The decorations are there. Oh, it makes me so mad. It should not go up until after Thanksgiving or Christmas Eve or, or however you slice it. We can gripe about that. But it's an opportunity. The world's attention is drawn toward Jesus and things of Jesus and truths that we believe that we find out about in the Bible. Let's use that momentum to share Christ with people. That's what I hope happens when I'm not here, is that I hope this place is full and you guys are laughing at funny scenes from Christmas movies and thinking and stroking your beards and going like, oh, that's a really profound point. I'm going to take that. I might even share that with my cousins that I see later on. That's the point. That's what Christmas movies, the series, is about. So there's my long, probably belabored explanation of 
what we're doing and why. But I really want you guys to be on board with this, especially if, like, your first inclination is, like, that's not what we usually do. That's not what I like. That's not what I'm used to. See what God does with it. And then if it's terrible, when I come back, you can be like, it was terrible. What a mistake. Don't do it again. And I'll say, fair enough. I appreciate you giving it a try. Uh, but that's something that's going to happen uh, starting next Sunday. Get excited, because I am all quiet in here. Did I make things awkward? It's possible. We're closing out our series uh, in the book of James. Uh, that's been a really awesome adventure, too. You guys went in that with enthusiasm. Like, James is so practical. We said things like, don't slander. Ready? Go practice it. We said things like, prayer is powerful and effective. Be inspired to pray. We saved this part for last. This is kind of the end of James's letter where he gives these instructions that we've been hearing throughout this worship service. Are you suffering? Do you know someone who's suffering? Pray. Are you happy? Praise. Celebrate. Someone's sick? Pray. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Uh, let me read this through just one more time, and then I'll make a few comments about it, and then we'll send you off to do some good works in the name of Jesus. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith makes the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, with this in mind, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And then he gives an example. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And then again, he prayed, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I don't know if you know the story of Elijah. If I say Elijah the prophet, you might go, I don't know, nothing, nothing about him. You might say, uh, Mount Carmel, right? The, the showdown with Baal, where the prophet Baal tried to call down fire to the altar, and then Elijah called down fire from Yahweh, and that one actually lit up, and everybody was amazed, and the power of God was demonstrated. That's the same Elijah. The story of Elijah begins kind of weird. Like, he's just this faithful guy that God calls on and says, uh, I want you to confront the king. This is what the prophets had to do a lot. There was a king named Ahab, and the Bible tells us Ahab was the worst king Israel had ever had. How would you like to be remembered like that? Ahab was king of Israel. Ooh, sounds like an important guy. He was the worst ever. Oh, what a terrible way to be immortalized. Uh, and God tells Elijah, go and say, we're going to shut off the rain. You're not faithful. You need to recognize God's power. So here it comes. I'll read the story of Elijah real quick, just a few verses of it. You'll get an idea of what... James is referencing something that probably most of his Jewish hearers of the time would have picked up on right away. These details about Elijah's life, how he lived it, and his trust in God. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab the king, as the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word when I say so. And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him, 
he went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. So he obeyed God. He did what God called him to do. The king's probably mad, wants to kill him. So God says, why don't you go hide in this ravine? Okay, sounds good. For how long? doesn't say. But it does say he was there, and God brought him food, and he drank from the brook. But the brook started to dry up because there was no rain. That's what happens with brooks. So now he's going, all right, God sent me to a place where I don't have water anymore. God's providing food. I hope that lasts. The water's starting to run out. What do I do? The story continues. God says, I want you to go to Zarephath. And there's a widow there. Go to her house. She'll bake you some bread, and she'll give you some water. You will be provided for. And the story goes on. There's an opportunity for Elijah to heal her son, who dies, and God's power is demonstrated. But if you think about just these opening tidbits, these little details that we have from the story of Elijah, one, it didn't seem like a very fun life. He was faithful, and he prayed, and it didn't rain, and that's like, wow, that's a powerful prayer. You say, no rain, and then the waterworks get shut off right away. Sounds pretty amazing. Sign me up for that. Like a lot of the other prophets, it's a hard road because it requires a lot of trust. He's got to confront a king who's going to try to kill him. Then he has to run and hide and live in hiding. Every meal, he is completely dependent on the hand of God. I bet he developed some trust there. And then the water started to run out. Oh, now what are we going to do? But then, like I said, God provides another way for him. It's an example of someone being righteous and knowing that he should pray, knowing that he should do what God says, but then he backs it up with his actions. His life demonstrates a trust in God. I think that's important when it comes to prayer. Why we pray, and what is prayer all about? God calls us to pray. He wants us to ask for things. He wants us to trust in him and develop that trust. That even if we don't see how things are going to work out, why would I go to this ravine? What if the water runs out? We still go. We still trust. We say, it's not what I can do, but God's involved. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I think this was, a, this was my video teaching, which everybody, not, not everybody's a big fan of, but when I was at the fall retreat, there's a video lesson from this part on James where it says, listen, if you're going to go to a city, don't say, I'm going to make these plans. I'm going to sell these goods. What you should say instead is, Lord willing, right? If it's the Lord's will, I will go and I'll do this and that. I'll make this, this business deal if it's God's will. If it's not, maybe something else. But I'm preparing myself for the possibility that what I have set out to do may not be the thing that happens. Similarly, this call to prayer expresses a trust in God. It acknowledges God. It says God's there. God's involved. God cares. And even if I can't see the solution or the relief, even if it doesn't come right away, I will still trust in God. Yet, I will praise God. Lord. I'm still going to pray. I'm still going to call on him for healing. I'm still going to praise him. We're good when I'm happy. The Psalms find uh, singers singing praises of songs to God even when things are at their worst. The point is it takes faith. It takes trust in God like Elijah had faith. I might have told you this story before, but there was a man in the 1800s in Bristol, England named George Muller. He was a faithful follower of Christ, and he just kind of got it on his heart one day that he should start an orphanage. He's like, didn't know how to do that, but he found a building and said, all right, I'm going to gather up all these street kids that have been abandoned, and I'm going to give them a home. 
and they can live here, and I'll feed them, and I'll fund it. And guess what? Like the water in the brook at the Kareth Ravine, the water ran out. George Muller ran out of funds. He said, oh, well, I still got to care for these orphans. There's a story about one day he gets them all up for breakfast, and there's absolutely no food. There's nothing to feed the orphans. There's no money to buy food. But he still gathers them all around the table, and he says, okay, let's pray. He says, Lord, provide for your children. We trust in you. Make it happen. Not the best business plan if you're starting a nonprofit, I would say. This is my, my non-professional assessment, but it's a bit of a worldly perspective. If someone's like, here's the business plan. I'm just going to wake up every day and say, God, we need to feed these orphans. Let's, let's uh, call this their home. You get shut down pretty fast. But the story in George Muller's life goes like this. He gets a knock on the door during the prayer, not long after the prayer, uh, and it's a baker. He said, I was woken up in the middle of the night, and I just had felt like I needed to bake bread for these orphans at this orphanage. So he shows up. Now they have bread. The same morning, there's a milk cart that's going past the orphanage, and it breaks down. And the guy selling milk goes like, well, I got this problem. I'm not going to be able to sell all this milk, so it's going to go bad. Do you want it? To go with the bread? So now there's bread and milk? Okay. Sounds great. George Muller had faith. He knew he needed to pray. Again, how many of us would like good work? around that? How many of us would plan our day around like, well, the Lord will provide? Sometimes. We do. We have, we have faith. Um, but there's, there's, yeah, there's this limitation. But it's inspiring, these testimonies, trusting in God. We have stories in our church that we tell about God's intervention, things that God has done, ways that we say, man, this person was sick, this person was unwell. We prayed. Praise God. There's been times of healing. Uh, I've heard some of these testimonies <laughs> recently. On the fall retreat, Tom reminded us of the Christmas Eve where Claire was, where no one wants their, no parent wants their child to be. Um, and then not long after that, there was healing. And that healing made the medical professionals go, we don't know. It's not how we thought things would work out. Just last week, I heard Greg Brown more than once Tell people about his back. I don't know if you noticed last week he was uh, not doing great. We talked making plans for when the praise team was going to sit up and stand out or stand up here, stay up and or sit down. He's like, let's have him sit down because I'm not I'm not doing so great. People prayed for him and he shared it's not 100% better, but he's saying it's it's better in a way that it shouldn't be based on what has happened. I heard him tell that story to like three or four different people this week. We are people of prayer. We are people of faith. We're called to live our lives centered around that. Like I said, when we were at the table, I'm glad that we're doing more uh, conversations during this time. We can very much get into a prayer habit that's like, I'll pray when someone says, bow your head, close your eyes, someone words the prayer for you. That's one way to pray. But I like that we've been praying in groups. I like that we've been opening it up and saying, hey, if you have a prayer request that hasn't been mentioned, like pray about, pray about that with somebody that is near to you. I think that that's good. I think that we're, we're doing some healthy things to kind of increase our understanding of what prayer is and what prayer can be. Uh, Thursday night groups going on 10 years now. 
Anybody been counting? They're stretching themselves and what it looks like to pray, to use Scripture, write prayers of faith and share those with one another, confessing their sins to one another, expressing their needs. That door is always open. Thursday nights at 6.30, right over here, come increase your prayer vocabulary, increase your connection to the people of God. One other thing before the next part, but I can't quite remember it. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. Um, we don't do a ton of public confessing. Confessing. You know, be like, hey, everybody get up here and air your dirty laundry. Tell us your deepest, darkest secrets. But uh, I hope that those things aren't off limits for you in certain relationships. There's times when we just need to say, I have not been following Jesus like I want to, not where I want to be. And to trust somebody with that information and have them go, well, let's pray about it. Let's pray for healing. Let's pray for restoration. I'll confess a sin to you guys right now. I don't know if it's a sin, but it's definitely a, uh, a hard-heartedness, so why not? Sometimes when I get prayer requests from the church office, and it's somebody that I don't know. It's like a cousin of someone's cousin and someone who used to be a member here where now we're praying for their neighbor in another state. Sometimes my heart goes, why do I need to pray for that person? Why does it matter? There's too many emails in my inbox. I'm going to start ignoring them. I'm not going to care anymore unless it's local, unless it's something that we can be involved in. Aren't there churches in those states? Aren't there... Other people praying for them. Doesn't God already know? Should we? Do we need to lift this person up? Here's what I hear God saying to me in response to that. Because I want to go, yeah, I'm right, so keep it, keep it local, folks. If Jacob doesn't know him, we ain't praying for him. You say it out loud, you hear right away <laughs> how bad it sounds. But two things come to mind. One is do unto others what you would have them do to you. I'm in need. If my child's in the hospital, when my child was in the hospital, oh man, I wanted everybody praying for them. I wanted every state. I wanted every church. I wanted every Christian going, hey, knock on that door like the persistent widow. Pray for healing. Pray for peace. And the other thing is just back to the, the bridge illustration. We're bodies. We support one another. Bear each other's burdens in prayer. We hear each other's confessions. We say, I, I am in need of help. I am in need of change. I am in need of restoration. And we say, there's forgiveness in Christ because of that. You don't have to wear that shame. You don't have to carry that. You can lay it down. You can walk with Jesus because of the cross. That's what it all comes back to. Our faith trust in Jesus. I don't think I told you guys about how James died. As we've, been, we've recognized that James was the half-brother of Jesus. He was this major church leader in the Jerusalem church in the first century. You can, he's got these little cameos and acts in some of Paul's letters, even. Like, he was the man. Like, he was the decision maker. He was this hero of faith. And when you think about, he was there was probably a point in his life where people were like, oh, Jesus, your brother, he's the Messiah. He'd be like, no, he's not. No, he's not. I have, I have two half-brothers. If someone told me, like, that's God in human form, is your brother Dan. Dan Parnell is the Savior. I'd be like, he probably isn't. I think you got, you got some wrong information there. 
something changed James' mind. Things he saw, things he heard, things he witnessed, and he said, this is my life now. Jesus is Lord. That's my message. Jesus is Lord. Here's how James died. This isn't in the scriptures, but we have this from writings that are not too far away from when these were written. Ah, James was a church leader. Uh, Jewish people who weren't followers of Jesus were still trying to suppress this blasphemous notion that God could ever become a human, that Jesus of Nazareth is God in human form. They're like, let's get rid of this message. Let's, let's put people in prison. Let's, let's, let's kill them. Let's, let's quash this. And the Romans weren't too happy about it either. So some leaders of the Sanhedrin at the time, they went to James and they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go up to the temple. Like we're going to climb up to the top, this edge looking down over uh, the courtyard. And you are going to say, Jesus is not Lord. And James said, all right, let's do it. Walk him up there. Put him out on the edge. And they said, say it. Say, Jesus is not Lord. And he said, Jesus is Lord. I'm sorry. It's true. Empty tomb, death on the cross, Son of God. It's all true. Jesus is Lord. And they pushed him off the temple. He fell. His body broke on the ground in sight of everybody. But he didn't die. So they went back down and they threw rocks at him until he was dead. That's how James, that's how his life ended. Proclaiming the death of Jesus the Lord. He dedicated his life to Jesus. He gave his life because of the message of Jesus. It's so true. I I, I know what's going to happen. I know where this is going to go. He was faithful. He was a believer in prayer. He gave us some wonderful words to live by. Sometimes we can't live up to that. That's something we've acknowledged throughout this series. Yes, we're supposed to live in this way that honors Christ, that follows closely at the heels of Jesus, but we don't always live up to that. Praise God that there's mercy and grace. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Man, we need that. James, like Elisha, like George Muller, like so many of you who've been a prayer example for me, they were people of prayer, they were people of faith. Their lives and their actions demonstrated that. That's what we're called to do. We started this series with an image, with an illustration. These little boxes, Chinese food takeout, they've been hanging in our, our lobby for the last quarter. We served you Chinese noodles on the first day. We said, there's a passage in James, kind of a, kind of a core passage. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Don't just hear it and do nothing about it. Do what it says. Do what it says. We said sometimes faith is like Chinese food. We go to a Chinese food restaurant. Chinese decorations on the wall and Chinese cooks in the kitchen and maybe some the, the people there even speak Chinese and they serve you delicious Chinese food, these dishes that you love and you're so glad that you have this experience in Chinese culture and Chinese food and then you go back to your house where there's not a lot of Chinese food. There's not as many pieces of Chinese art on the wall for the most part. But that's something I do at the restaurant. That's what I do there. This, this is something else. We can treat our faith like that. Church is where the crosses are on the wall. Church is where we sing songs about Jesus. Church is where we pray. 
And he said, ah, let this be a lesson to you. Chinese food is delicious if you take it home. It's sometimes even better the next day. I'll eat it cold. Better eat it quick before my kids find it in the fridge. The point is, take it with you. It's mobile. It's portable. You don't have to just do Jesus in this room. You don't just have to do worship here. Prayer, is. this is not the only place you can pray. Take it with you. That's what this box is reminded of, or attempted to remind us. That's where we started, and that's where I want to end this series. I took these down off the, uh, off the ceiling, and in, inside each one is a, a little gift. Call it your Christmas gift, because you're not getting anything else from me. It is a simple little rubber bracelet, like the one I'm wearing. And it says, Do Crew, on it. It says, Do Crew, on one side. On the other side, it says, 122. As in James, 122. And you all get to have one of these. When you leave today, take one of these boxes with you, and inside you get this bracelet as a reminder. You can wear it proudly, but you don't have to. Put it on your backpack, attach it to your purse, put it on your rearview mirror in your car. Put it someplace where you'll see it. It's just a simple reminder for all of us to not just hear the words, not just hear the wisdom that comes from heaven, the words from the mouth of Jesus, reiterated through his half-brother James who gave his life for the cause of the gospel. Don't just hear it. Don't just memorize it. Don't just know it. But do it. Be part of the do crew. That's our commission together. Go and do it. Share the gospel. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. And what did he say? I'll be over here hanging out. Come find me if you need me. Nope. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Take one of these as you leave. Joseph, go ahead and uh, roll this video. This is our closing benediction. Uh, let's stand as we receive. Thank you.